Hey, it's Priscilla Show Podcast. Um, just in case I was in a good mood, my first read apparently is going to try to put me in a bad mood. What's Keeps? Well, it's something I wish was around when I was younger. Losing hair sucks. Introducing Keeps, the easiest and most affordable way to keep your hair that you have. These FDA-approved products used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to obtain for five minutes now. And starting at just $10 per month, you'll never have to worry about hair loss again. Getting started is super easy. Signing up takes less than five minutes. Just answer a few simple questions and snap some photos to complete your online doctor consultation. A licensed physician will review your information online and recommend the right treatment for you. Then it's shipped right to your door every three months. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried them before, but never for this price. Keeps treatments are up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. Some men do experience hair regrowth, and at best, men will get back up to 20% of the hair they lost. Only 10 to $35 a month plus now, you get your first month free. One hell of a deal for keeping your hair. If you suffer from hair loss, the last thing you need to do is wait to see a doctor. With Keeps, there's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it. For a limited time, receive your first month of treatment for free. Go to Keeps.com forward slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's Keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com forward slash Ryan. Again, for a limited time, receive your first month of treatment for free. Go to Keeps.com forward slash Ryan. Okay, what's going on? Uh, a lot of stuff to do today. I guess we'll touch on a couple of topics here, but uh, I want to let everybody know that Justin Zanuck, the general manager of the Utah Jazz, who had as good an offseason as maybe anybody, except for probably the Clippers. Let's not kid ourselves. So let's uh, do that. I guess the Nets would be up there too, but Durant's just not healthy. I feel like Durant's getting left off of all of these things because now the big thing, Saruti, is ranking everybody's duos. Have you seen this? Have you seen the kids, what they're doing now? Oh, yeah. It's the new thing to do. Now It went from big threes to duos. Now there's like seven or eight duos everybody's got to figure out. Yeah, which lunch table duo would you want to sit at? The lunch table thing, I mean... (laughs) That thing it's, went crazy, it, it's, huh? And then everybody does their their own version of it, and it's I don't I don't know. I mean, do you like it or do you not? Because I feel like I got kind of annoyed by it after a while. Like the original one, I'm like, okay, this is kind of an interesting concept, and then everyone stole it. Well, what I've learned now is that no one cares about stealing. Like the generation of, I think in a bio it'd be funny if you just said, "I steal your memes." You know, I tweak it. Like the whatever the line is. You know, it's like Greece when the whole country decided to stop paying taxes. You know, it's not what you're supposed to do, but when everybody was like, oh, I don't really know. this whole tax thing kind of sucks. Yeah, all right. Well, what happens if the tax collector shows up? I'll just figure it out to come up with some sort of plan. And so, you know, then other countries had their debt. And they're like, hey, you guys, like, we're coming in. And then there were revolts being like, you can't tell us what to do. Like, well, you know what you could do is tell you guys to start paying your taxes because we're hurting our own economy now. So could you guys do that? So there's all sorts of corruption. Again, Boomerang, favorite book by Michael Lewis. Um, And again, the name is Boomerang for those that will listen to this and then immediately tweet at me. What was the name of that book that you mentioned? Um which I still I still can't believe. The younger generation steals memes and they they ask you what book you mentioned when you mention the book. <laughs> so I it blows my mind. I mean it's constant. I did the rewatchables pod uh at the ringer for the town and I specifically said the two books and it's just nonstop. One guy's DMing me nonstop being like, Hey, what is it? No, dude, what was it? 
Like, why can't you tell me? And I'm like, well, you're being punished. <laughs> you're being punished for not figuring it out. Okay, so rambling a bit there once I started talking about the Greek tax system. But yes, the meme thing, it's its not even stealing, really, in the way that stealing is, is thought of. It's, oh, you came up with this thing, so now we're going to do all these other ones. I didn't think the table... The lunch table meme stealing was bad. I just think it's weird that every media outlet feels the need that to be in oh. on the moment, we now yes. have to do it. Yep. And I don't even think anybody should complain about that. I just think that's the way that it is. And for me, who just one of the things that I think is the worst is lack of originality and comedians that steal other comedians' jokes or somebody that made um, a Fox News video game analogy about parents – uh, that was stolen from somebody else. Cause I remember seeing the original one being like, Oh, it's kind of a clever line. And then another guy does it and like 50,000 people retweeted him and he, he feels good about himself stealing that joke. I saw because, three or four different versions of that same tweet and I'm like, wow, like you guys yeah. all probably did not even come up with this. <laughs> That's a yeah, I just, I couldn't, joke. I couldn't fathom that. Granted, you know, talking as much as I had to on the air, there could be similar thought. Like I've had a thought. And then somebody said the exact same thing. I go, did they just steal that from me? Like, I could usually tell. But then again, you have to also be realistic and go, hey, there's a possibility that two people in the world came to the same conclusion and had the same angle on something that happened. So you can't freak out about it. But as somebody that the last thing I ever wanted to do was listen to somebody else. Like, remember when the LeVar Ball stuff was happening? It was the LeVar, the Ball family or the Kardashians? Yes. A bunch of people said it. I don't know who said it first, but the guys that kept saying it over and over again were so proud of themselves for using that analogy. And I kept thinking, like, why would you be so proud of – you clearly heard that from somebody else and took it. I also think that there's something that happens in the business where if it's a lower comedian, a bigger comedian feels like they have the right to steal the joke. And definitely in sports media, where if it's like a lower-level person, <laughs> like a guy that has a big platform, will just be like, whatever, I'm just stealing this take, <laughs> and I'm going to go ahead and do it. So – that throw was your, uh, throw your weight around. What's up? Yeah, so I'm I'm sure some people are wondering. Um, didn't you decide to leave uh, and go to the Ringer? Yeah, I don't want to do a massive um, goodbye. I did that in December 17, leaving the radio show. That was the biggest decision I had to make, and yet still, um, ESPN and I were able to work some things out. I was able to move. I was able to keep the podcast going. I think Sarudi knows this, and, and we'll talk a little bit about it. I just don't want to do another sappy goodbye thing because I can't imagine that there's probably some people that are managers there going, didn't we say goodbye to this guy like a year and a half ago? And that's, that's true. So everything that people have said has been incredibly positive. It's at times overwhelming and reminder of, of how many of you out there like the stuff that whether it was Scott and I, Danny and I, or me at the end or this podcast and the numbers certainly prove it out. And I'm really, really proud. So instead of, you know, some of the stuff that used to bother me and day to day stuff with the radio show, I don't think that's a huge secret that there were things at times where, you know, I, I know that I could have handled some things better. Um, but that's the thing. Like any job you have, if it's important, if it's an important job and, and you're there a long time, there's going to be some ups and downs. And that's not really what it was. I wanted to stay in LA, you know, and this way going with Bill Simmons to go to the ringer allows me to stay in LA because of all the other stuff that I'm, I'm working on on top of the sports thing. So, um, I thought there was a chance maybe we'd work it out. So there's not, there really isn't any animosity. And I, I think everybody's kind of cool with it. So they were like, look, you know, can you still do the four pods? And I was like, absolutely. Cause I, I think it's the right thing to do. Um, instead of being like, Hey, I'm still under contract and I'm just not going to work. So 
I don't mind working. I've never mind working. So that's where we're at. That's why we're doing these. But again, thanks to everybody who has subscribed, who has uh, supported this podcast in just over a year and a half of doing it because it really, uh, it, it did really well. And I think maybe, you know, that helped me realize that I could do some more things on my own, maybe surprise some people. But uh, it's it's still not easy knowing that, you know, almost 14 years at ESPN and loving everything about it from afar, you know, going, hey, I'm one day I'm going to hope I could work there. My dream job would be there. I got to do it. I actually got to do something I said I wanted to do more than anything. And that's as I try to get older. <laughs> well, I guess I don't have to try. I just do. But as you get older, I do think it's healthier and it makes more sense to just try to be like, hey, you know what? Like, think about what you just did and have that moment in the car where you're like, holy bleep, like, I actually did that. Like, what are the odds? So that's kind of how I feel about it. And it's not really anything else than you know, I've had a relationship with Simmons for a while. And I just knew that as far as staying in L.A. and, and, and having a plan, like, this is the move for me. So there you go. And I don't think anybody will even get mad at me for any of the things I just said there, Surdy. Yeah, you never know. But um, listen, Really? I don't think I said anything back there. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? It's 2019. And people get bad at random stuff. But I will say, um, you know, I'm, I, I think I speak for most people. Like, pump for you. Like, I think it'll be. I think it'll be a great move. Um, you know, thank you for sort of this last year and a half has been awesome for sort of giving me like a little bit bigger platform to actually like spew some weird opinions with you and kind of just talk it through. It's been some of the sort of the best times I've had. And you know, I've I've tweeted this all out too but i've you know i've learned a ton from you and I've, i've i will sort of miss sort of the back and forth but i mean listen you could just call me up and talk magic basketball any night you want to so it's not really like that much is going to change i didn't do that a ton i'll admit i called you a lot but usually it wasn't about the magic but i'll i'll make sure no, I but you always had in. a magic nugget that you would like hey you want some magic rumor i'm like yeah sure like hit me up or just be a random call about something that you couldn't really go with, but you would just want to tell somebody. So I always, yeah. I always appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, hey, I can't share this with anybody, but listen <laughs> to this singer. But hey, remember when I interrupted you at Valentine's saying the rumor around the NBA is Doc Rivers coming back to, to run the magic again? It's true. It's worth interrupting Valentine's Day dinner for. I mean, I, And then it ended up not being true. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, this is what a lot of people are saying, is that he's going to end up back in Orlando. And you know what? As great as Orlando is, I think Doc's probably pretty happy. No, he's good. Yeah. No. I think he's he's happy. So, yeah, we're going to do one more SVP and Rosillo. We weren't sure if we were. Uh, I'm not thrilled that we only did three. So that would be something that I'd be like, man. But that's just the way it works. Grown-up grown up world out there, kids. We're going to have Justin Zanuck here in a minute. But first, ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show, R-Y-E-N Show. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show, R-Y-E-N Show. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Justin Zanuck is a former player agent and is currently promoted to 
general manager of the Utah Jazz, been with the Jazz a couple years, bucks before that, and he joins us now. I think it's really easy for fan base, you know, media of, of a specific team to say, okay, well, you know, the team needs to do this, need to do all these things, and you guys crushed it. I love your offseason. I don't think there's any debate about that. I don't know who would say it wasn't great. But what did you say about what your goals were going to be after being eliminated early in the playoffs? Thanks for the question, Ryan. Um, I would say this, that you always do an evaluation constantly during the season. Uh, but it's not only just you, – you don't want to be emotional or reactionary about a game or a series or a stretch of games. We try to take a look at – how our team functions and plays and performs not only on a yearly basis, but a multi-year basis. And we had sort of a two-year journey with our teams in 17, 18, and 18, 19. A lot of continuity, a lot of very good play, um, a lot of good results, um, some good development from our young players. But we also felt, given the nature of our competition that changes constantly in the NBA, that we'd reached a little bit of a ceiling with that current group and nothing against any of the individual players. They all had very great, good contributions to our team and to our culture and to our community and our fans fell in love with them. But sometimes change is necessary and you don't change just to change, but we looked at if there were opportunities that came up, whether through the three ways that we can acquire players, right? The draft trades and free agency, we were well positioned cap wise, asset wise to make a play on those opportunities if they came up. And those opportunities came up in the form of a, a trade option with bringing in Mark Conley Jr. And then having some flexibility with our, our salary cap and our planning to target players that we thought could give us better offensive spacing, better offensive production while still maintaining you know, we're a defensive club first, Ryan, as you know. We've been top five in defensive efficiency the last five years. Sometimes one, sometimes two, and we wanted to see if we could help ourselves offensively without taking away anything defensively. So when Conley comes up, and, you know, we had heard before the trade deadline, there's a version of him being available. You know, you never know. I always try to remind myself at times when you think you know something, you'll be like, look, think about all the information that we don't know, Okay. So a, right. a player gets traded, and, and we from the outside can be like, hey, that was too much, that wasn't enough, wait a minute, this guy's contract, well, let's look at all these different variables. How do you enter that negotiation where, you know, a lot like any kind of negotiation, you're buying a house, you're like, here are the things I don't like, or they're telling you, here are the things that are so amazing about it. Like, how do you enter that kind of thing thinking, hey, this guy can really change who we are as a team, so we really want him, but we don't want to sit here and, and just hack away at all the other things we've built? Sure. I mean... Look, Ryan, you, you follow the NBA closely. I think you're an expert at looking at different teams and understanding needs and values. And there's a little more that goes to it internally. But I, I would, again, just like it is in free agency and trades when you're looking at opportunities, uh, Mike Conley Jr. is someone that, you know, we've, from our point guard position, it was we've tried to develop a mainstay there over the, since I've been here in Utah with Dennis since 2013-14 is finding some stability at the position. Mike was been one a guy for the last five years that we've always had interest in him. However, as you know, with trades, it takes two parties to be interested in doing a deal. And Memphis has had a great run and a very good defensive program, and Mike's been a central piece of that. So it's been more of keeping in touch with teams saying, hey, 
I know he's not available right now, but if you ever have, if there's ever an opportunity where you guys decide to go in a different direction, we would have interest. And those calls get lobbed in there for the last four or five years, regardless of who's playing. Those are just like any other player that's a high-level player in the NBA. You'd have interest. It's just a matter of them becoming available. And with Memphis's sort of path of going towards a rebuild, they they gave us a call, among other teams. I mean, I'm sure the entire league would have interest in Mike. And uh, you start conversations from there and try to build a deal where you're accomplishing things for that team and accomplishing the things that we need to get done as well, depending on what our competitive tracks are. How much emphasis do you think it's, or I guess the league and the way it's changed, we get to a bunch of different factors, but it just feels like, especially watching playoff basketball, the more scores, the more shot creators, the better. Um, how, how much do you think this offensive explosion has changed the priority, even though I know defensively that's kind of who the Jazz have been at their core, how it you're just kind of out there being like, wait a minute, if this guy can get this kind of buckets and we can add him, like let's just keep adding these guys. Because I think sometimes teams do it in a way where it doesn't always fit, but it feels like it's been this arms race of offensive players the last few years. I think I think that those points are valid on a surface level, Ryan. I think there's more a little more to it with considering that you're trying to build a team and having continuity with the rule changes on the court, but also, frankly, the contract rule changes of moving to shorter contracts. Um, the explosion of the salary cap and, and the TV money has made team building more of a short-term basis. You and I are in the same generation, Ryan. We grew up with teams that if you have a 15-man roster, you could expect you know, nine, ten of those teams, nine or ten of those players on that team in the 90s and early 2000s to be there for six, seven, eight years straight. And that's just not the case anymore. Just contracts are, sm- are shorter, Players have more uh, freedom to be able to choose where they want to go. And couple that with the offensive explosion, that means that there's more opportunities available in free agency and trade to acquire players. And with the changing environment, you have a chance to remake your team, depending on your results, over a, a shorter term basis, two, three years. I think to your question of, you know, acquiring just offensive players for the you know, just to do that, I, I think there's a little more to it in terms of how it fits with the culture, how it fits with how we want to play and each team wants to play. And then when you get to the playoffs, it really becomes matchup-based. So we felt that having the ability to be uh, more offensively efficient and maintaining the defensive efficiency, that it'll give us better, could give us better outcomes over a wider range of possible playoff matchups even though i, I want to finish with the roster and, and that kind of stuff you, you bring up something when, with your background as people know you're a player agent about 15 years you've been yep. in the front office now um well going back to 2013-14 is that about right yep my first year here in utah with dennis was 2013-14 beginning of the rebuild here so how would you best describe i don't know if describes the right word but as a player agent I'm sure there were part of you that would be like, man, this this player movement, the freedom, the power that these guys are able to have, this is amazing. And now that you're on the front office side, like, you know, I would imagine as most GMs that I talk to are like, this is just a different game now, and, and it's it's you just you have to deal with things in ways that you don't <laughs> you didn't have to before. 
Um, how do you feel about the, the freedom of movement, the shorter deals, players exerting more of their power now, as you've seen it from both sides? I think, you know, as per the collective bargaining agreement, I mean, this is something that both sides wanted, and um, it's a nature of just what the markets that you play in and playing by the rules that are given. So, you know, players don't have the ability anymore to have extremely secure, multi, you know, long-term deals anymore, six, seven, eight, that, that's been traded for, you know, shorter-term deals for them to be able to pick where they want to play. And I think what it does to teams is that you want, and this is where I'll go back to my experience as an agent, players largely want the same thing. They may have, there's four or five things that a player desires. They may each have different orders and how they prioritize it, but, you know, financial security, role, uh, being in a place where they feel it's a safe environment in terms of their health and their, their careers, uh, competent people working along, uh, alongside them, whether that's other players, the coaching staff, and a chance to get better. Then you get into geography and uh, city and off-the-court things, which I think the off-the-court things have been mitigated a little bit with how national our exposure as a league and no matter what city that you live in with social media to be able to express yourself and build a brand. So 10 years ago when I was an agent, maybe those things were a little more static and now a lot of things are a lot more fluid. So teams now have to really put their best foot forward and live the things that they say. They have to live it every day here. It's frankly an easy sell with the Millers, uh, our ownership group, uh, the city, our fans are great support of our business side and you know our coaching staff that is master teachers and great facilities and investment uh willing to spend and build competitive teams by whatever means we were, were able to do players talk and so they they see that and uh it's been like i said a frankly an easy sell of the five six years that i've been here because i've seen what incredible people there are here um, internally and around the state and the city. So when players experience that and they come, um, it's validated. And so it kind of perpetuates itself when you move into other markets in other years as you're building your teams. More with Justin Zanuck in a second, but first I want to tell you about our guys at First Leaf. This summer, the best way to discover new wines you're guaranteed to love is with First Leaf, the wine club that uses your feedback to curate selections to your unique tastes. Whether you're entertaining company or enjoying a warm summer night at home, First Leaf makes buying great wine easy. By rating the wines you receive, First Leaf determines your likes and dislikes, and they only send wines you'll love. You know what I learned, Saruti? That hot girl summer was also about the soft blanc this year. So, I wanted to learn more about it. I started by taking the First Leaf wine quiz to assess my exact wine drinking preferences. From sweetness to wine styles to even how adventurous I am trying new wines, they learned all about what I like. First Leaf then created an introductory six-pack of wine for me, all for just twenty nine ninety five. Seriously, an introductory six-pack of wine for twenty nine ninety five. These wines normally go for at least $20 a piece. When my bottles arrived, I tasted and rated them online. First Leaf took my ratings and selected new wines based on my taste for my next shipment. My curated shipments just keep getting better. Try First Leaf Wine Club today, where buying great wine is simple. 
Sign up with my link, and you'll get an exclusive intro offer, six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. That's six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. The Donovan Mitchell story is amazing because, you know, it goes a little bit later in the draft. Um, you know, this is the great thing about evaluating is that you never truly know and he has this incredible rookie year. You win a playoff series where it's still in my head. I'm like, how did a rookie take out two vets the way he did? And then in this playoff series, you're thinking, this is kind of how the way it works. I always tell people, like, as excited as we get about people, there's always this public backlash. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, how this guy's so great, how come he's not winning more? He can't do it by himself to score. And that's what I saw at certain times. So how have those conversations been with Donovan about this is the approach now to what we want to do offensively with Quinn knowing that him having help will prevent him from having to feel like he's carrying this burden, which I think it many times led to some bad possessions in the playoffs. Not not because he was making bad plays, just because I felt like he was looking around going, sure. no, I need no, to just I do it. this. I, yeah. I, I think with Donovan, first of all, you know, his talent, but more importantly his character and and how he wants to – he's a winner and he wants to win. And he wants to do whatever it takes to help win, whether that's – take the primary offensive burden and uh, try to become a, a good defender and grow in the league or us, you know, him putting his faith in Quinn and his the staff or not only for him to get better for having a, a system and way of style of play that encourages and helps everyone. And then there's the personnel parts. Donovan has been unbelievably supportive because obviously we meet with him and, and, uh, try to help him in any way that we can uh, as a individual player and then as a very important part of our team and he's he's stated hey I'll, I'll do whatever it takes so that we're we win if that means whatever my role is I want to fill in I think you've seen that in this training camp this week with Team USA uh, a lot of people are getting a chance to see what we see every day with him as a really good competitor great person great talent and he's only getting better i mean i think people in the nba forget that he's just finished his second year in the nba and in his career whether it be high school or college he had never been a primary offensive player and that was the role that we needed him to fill in 17 18 and 18 19 he's filled it admirably well and it's given us some time and opportunity to evaluate our team to see what we need to help put around him and rudy gobert and I think that was the main goal of the summer is to optimize their standing with our team and bring in players that not only complement them and complement the way we want to play, but augment it as well. That's such a great point, though, thinking about Mitchell and going, here's somebody that wasn't asked to be the primary ball handler scorer in college and yet comes in and at times carries an NBA franchise offensively. It's it's kind of absurd to even think about. Um, I, I want to get to Gobert because what what would, what do we miss for those of us that don't see him? Eighty two nights off the court as well. I can dig through all the different analytics, and there's certain numbers that come up. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like this is what he does. This is the impact he has. What is it about seeing him every night and being around him that maybe the rest of the country needs to understand? I think. The main thing, and I think people do see this in the NBA, but we see it on a daily basis. I've been with Rudy since his rookie year. Um, 
that was my first year as well, is how competitive Rudy is, um, how much he's focused on the team in his play. Uh, he may be the most uns- – and this is not, you know, to knock any other player or any other position, but it's something that's not necessarily intuitive – to casual NBA fans, but he may be the most unselfish player with his style of play in the NBA. He cleans up everybody else's mistakes. He's a defensive force in and of himself, and he leads the league or is top five in the league every year in screen assists. He spends his time screening to get every other player on our team open. And then allowing them to guard their man and be in the scheme that Quinn wants him to be. And then he's always like big brother in the back to clean it up. And he's doing that 34, 36 minutes a night. And at an unbelievable level of efficiency, uh, he creates great gravity at the rim offensively because you can't leave him on the roll. He's a great finisher and he's cleaning it up. He's a two-way player. And, uh, that's the part I think when you start looking at the numbers that it'll blow you away, but us seeing him every day, his competitive nature, his natural unselfishness, it's a, you know, he's a leader on the team that way and it infects everyone else around us to, to help him be great and, and support him as well. How much does what everybody else is doing? Cause it was the craziest off season I've ever been a part of. It was crazy. It really was. I mean, when sometimes, you know, hyperbole, like all the craziest. No, it was. It, it, without question, it was the There's something happening every hour. It, right. Out of the blue. And even when you thought it was over, like, okay, it's still not over. How much does right. what everybody else is doing around you, I think I know the answer to this, but I, I still think it's an important question. How much does it impact what, what you do? How much, like, I think, when, yeah, I, I think what impacts is just the, the level of how good the competition and organizations are in the Western Conference. Um, and there's almost an expectation rather than can't profess to know what other teams would try to do or accomplish. It's making those assumptions can get you in trouble. I think what it is is a general focus of here's where our team is uh, within the competitive landscape of the NBA. Here's where we're trying to go, regardless of what anybody else does or can do. And here are the opportunities that are available to us does this make sense in our line of team building and where can we, you know, we owe it to the Millers, the state of Utah, our fans, our city in Salt Lake to feel the most competitive team uh, because they certainly support us, you know, 110%. And you, you, you do that without sacrificing long-term sustainability. This is not trying to be a one-year wonder where we've had, you know, our basketball strategy group is, I think really good. I'm obviously biased and we operate on, you know, two or three different tracks during the year, you know, yearly basis, three year basis, five year basis that it factors the cap, which contracts are coming up, what opportunities are available in the market. All of those things we have to operate in and make decisions to, so that's the goal is to feel the most competitive team possible with, you know, the, the very good group of core players that we have and how can we expand on that? How, how can we, get them better and how can we augment that group to to go out there and compete when a team is you know it's it's still new right this group is new i think with teams like we saw last year in the east the teams at the top 
those groups collectively were, were kind of newer rosters, whether guys are coming back from injuries or just had been acquired. The West, yep. so much of it feels new. And yet, you know, Conley's a vet, but he hasn't had massive playoff success. Donovan's still young. Gobert's still young. Bogdanovich has, you know, been around for a bit. How do you get a whole organization to kind of show up day one and start looking at each other being like, we expect to win a championship? I mean, some teams say it and you roll your eyes. Other teams, you're like, how come you're not more confident? How are you able to collectively, as an organization, get to get everyone to go, hey, when you're showing up to work that first day, we need to be thinking about this, not just as a goal, but a realistic one. So, great question, Ryan. I think there's a lot there. I think, first of all, it starts with, you know, the group of players that we currently have and, you know, whether they've been traded for, drafted, or chosen to come via free agency. A part of that is, I think, the the culture that Dennis and Quinn and the Millers have uh, well, the Millers for the last twenty, thirty years have have always instituted this, and Dennis and Quinn coming for a rebuild for us to, you know, instill a culture here of obvious unselfishness, hard work, competitive hunger, and all of the players that we bring here to to Utah, we think have those capabilities and qualities. So, this you know, the last two years we've had quite a bit of continuity players that knew the program, have been in the program, have gotten better in the program. This year, we've added a lot of new players that necessarily haven't played here in Utah, guys that are going to be very important to our group's success. But all of them have, you know, as you mentioned, it was like, you have some young, we have some young players. We've actually transitioned into a veteran team based on NBA experience. And the types of players, uh, their talent, first and foremost, their character, the way they play. They've had all of this experience in the NBA. It just hasn't been here. It'll take time, but them understanding why they chose to came, come here or learning about what we're about, come in here day one and say, hey, you know, we have championship aspirations, but we haven't done anything as a group yet. And the work that's entailed in that and understanding the commitment that's entailed with that I think Quinn's done an excellent job instilling that the players know and that they're coming in here to work, to learn each other, to help each other. And hopefully that experience in other NBA teams, as we're now a veteran team, can speed up that process. I want to get one Quinn Snyder question in then because we know he's good. I mean, you're around it all the time. You talk to other scouts and guys are like, who do you like? Who do you really like? How flexible is he in developing an offense? How involved are you in that process as he now has all these new toys to play with? So I think one of the there are a lot of great qualities about Quinn and the coaching staff. I think one of the best qualities is his ability to see individual talent develop it as a master teacher and our coaching staff are master teachers as I've said before and melded into a way that makes uh, not only it, it fun to play, but where we're championship competitive, um, that he's maximizing guys' talents. But the mindset that he's able to encourage and deal with all sorts of different players who are in different parts of their careers, I think is a really special talent of his. 
and being able to take that those disparate groups and put them in as a group as one, especially as an, it's a new group, even though, as I said, we have, you know, veteran experience. It's a, it's a brand new group and being able to uh, take those guys and, and push them and get them better and play for each other in an unselfish and uh, defensive minded way is a, again, a special talent of Quinn's and something we're really excited for. I think frankly, it's one of our best strengths here as a coaching staff. Well, the front office is also strong. Dennis, we all know you. Um, David, make sure you say hi to my guy, Walt, for me. And Will you do. guys did an awesome job. I can't wait to see how this plays out, man. I'm, I'm really excited to watch some jazz basketball this year. Thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate the time and, and, uh, and the words. And uh, we'll see each other soon. Okay, we want to kick a few things around here with preseason football underway. Yeah. <laughs> but first, Candid. Did you know your teeth move as you get older? Yeah. I didn't notice until I noticed mine were shifting. And then I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? I want to get my teeth fixed. But braces? Come on, dude. That was high school. The last thing I'm doing is braces again. Then I heard about Candid, the clear alternative to braces, and I'm all in. Candid has an orthodontist who is licensed in your state, create a treatment plan for you, and even has a 3D preview of what the final results are like. That's what Candid did for me. Uh, came in. Got the box, set up the trays, could have been easier. You can make it a date night thing if you're really, I think, that close or, if, you know, somebody's still dating you if your teeth are shifting. Candid only uses experienced orthodontists. Other companies use dental professionals, whatever that means. Now that I've approved my 3D preview, Candid is creating custom clear aligners that will be sent directly to me. That means no hassle of having to go into an orthodontist office. Come on. Candid costs 65% less than braces. You can save thousands of dollars and have straighter, brighter teeth in an average of just six months. I'm super excited to get my clear aligners from Candid and begin to fix my teeth. You're only one step away from getting straighter, brighter teeth. Learn more at candidco.com slash Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, two S's, two L's, and use code Russillo at checkout to get $75 off. That's candidco.com slash Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, code Russillo, for $75 off. Okay, I have a matchup. Remember Line Movers? That segment Van Pelt and I did Loved a few it. weeks ago? Yep. Okay. What's the line for football is back? I'm going to show you how much I care about football guy <laughs> versus didn't like English Premier Soccer until two years ago, but I'm going to talk about the quality of play and the fitness level <laughs> on a Saturday morning. Uh, talking about how you don't rate players? Yeah. Um, I, I was really annoyed by the onslaught of obsessed football fans for preseason games. Like, I just don't care. And so I would, t- I mean, geez, I think that guy is probably minus six. Wow, almost a full touchdown worse than, than EPL. That guy, it, it was so bad. Like, all right, we got like a, a couple preseason games and everyone just loses their mind on Twitter about it. It's like, Daniel Jones, oh my goodness, should he start week one? And I loved, like, I think it was, it might have been Riddick or somebody who tweeted out, like, I can't believe, like, people are falling for this stuff again. Like, you're falling for week one preseason overreactions. I, and are we that football, I mean, are we that football starved? Or we just need stuff to talk about? Like, I don't even get it. Part of it is just that. I mean, football is king. Every number tells you football is king. And that's really not debatable. I mean, the whole, the ratings are falling off two years ago, concussion, Kaepernick, and all this stuff. It's like the demise of football. And you go, well, that wasn't accurate, right? So we did that stuff for over a year, all those different topics. So I think there is a real lust for this sport that 
when you don't get it for a really long time, it's just exciting to watch this stuff. And knowing all of these young quarterbacks that are in the league. And, yeah, I wanted to watch Kyler Murray a little bit. And then I was at the gym, and all of a sudden I'm like, what's going on with Murray? I'm like, oh, that's because it was really far away, so I don't want to be accused of anything here. But I just went, oh, it's Brett Hundley. Never mind. I'm like, no wonder, <laughs> no wonder it looked a little slower than I, I thought it was going to. I was like, ah, oh, you're an idiot. Um, Danny Cannell would talk about this all the time and be like, it is so basic, it's so stupid, and and bad players can look really good, and you don't really learn much about quarterbacks at all. I'm trying to think of the last person that I fell in love with prematurely, and I know who it is. Like, this would be a great exercise. be a good segment. Who's your biggest whiff based on just losing your mind about how good somebody looked in preseason? And mine is Bortles service. Blake Bortles. It was... And the funny thing is, like, I remember Stanford Steve and I came in. It was back when we were still doing the show with Impel. And I go, did you guys watch Bortles last night? And I'm never that guy. And I go, I... I was like, dude, he looks awesome. And SVP just immediately rolls his eyes at me, even though he'd be just as guilty of falling in love with someone. No, this too. was this was his before his rookie season, right? Because he had a good second year, at least statistically. I think he threw thirty five touchdowns. This is before his his rookie year, yeah. Okay. So I was like, oh my god, I'm like, dude, I normally don't do this, but I was like, I think he's, I think he's pretty, you know, like he's got the goods. And then Stanford Steve backed me up. Stanford Steve was like, dude, I'm with you. And then he's like, listen to you idiots. And I just went, all right, look, I'm just telling you. I was like, I, I think he looks awesome. And um, that's the last guy that I, I I allowed preseason to just get in my dome. And, you know, maybe now I don't, you know, you don't want to say just everybody sucks across the board, but the bases, the defense are like as vanilla as it gets. You know, the, the Peyton excuse me, the Baker Mayfield series that we saw last week was, okay, yeah, like, okay, but what now what? Like, hey, Browns, you know, I was on the fence about the Super Bowl, but that first drive with Baker, I'm convinced of it now. Browns coming out of the AFC. So, yeah, a lot of it's just missing it a ton, but there is a bit of a a show-offness to, hey, this is like a real thing. Let me – like, are you guys seeing how 54 set in the edge? It's insane. <laughs> I do think, though, the opposite of that is true, though, right? Because if – because of how vanilla some of that stuff is, if somebody just looks really bad out of place, especially a quarterback, that should be your first red flag. I mean, that, that to me, you can take you can take some stock in. I would never take any stock in anyone being really awesome in the preseason, though. You know who we had once? I remember this is way, way back. Jamal Fudge, defensive back. He actually ended up playing a bunch of years. But I think he might have had two picks in a preseason game. I don't even know if I should bother looking that up. I should get research on this. Um, Jamal Fudge did play in the league a little bit, but it was, we may have even booked him as a guest on game night. This could all be a lie. This could all be, this, the last 30 seconds could be a blatant lie, but I just remember he had a big night. I was in studio a Saturday in Bristol. We're talking like a decade ago and. He, we were like, man, you know, what's up? You know, it was a six-hour radio show. We may have done three Jamal Fudge segments. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. There's actually a YouTube highlight video for Jamal Fudge that was posted in August of 2010. So your nine-year anniversary coming up here. Um, 
1.2 thousand views. So we're talking 1,200 views. Oh, in the highlight video, his his agent is David Wyatt, and his cell phone number is there. There you go. There's a little hype music behind it. We're not going to go ahead and do that. We hit pause. So, yeah, I, I don't want to... I feel like I know that I am that guy. Look, I, I know that I'm that guy. Like, oh, everybody's doing this. Here's why this is stupid. But early preseason takes that this is what a quarterback is or isn't going to be seems insanely irresponsible. So, Remember, I was just thinking about this because the hard knocks factor, too, like the team on hard knocks, obviously you fall in love with like those fringe roster guys. Like, Remember uh, Charles James for the Texans? Like Everybody thought that dude was a stud, didn't end up making the roster, and I don't even think he's like really played in the league since. So you could be fooled by that stuff. Wait a minute. Yeah, you're right. I mean, everybody loved him. He was the, he was the personality. Hard Knocks can be really um, crazy that way. So is he still playing? He is not. I just I'm looking him up right now. He last played in tw- well, he played last year for the Memphis Express. Uh, oh, he last played in the NFL. Not in the NFL. <laughs> no, last played for the Jags in 2017, Bills in 2017. So he, he bounced around a lot. But like I remember when he got cut, everyone was like super mad because like you know Hard Knocks kind of made it out to you know he was obviously playing pretty well but like the Texans cut him and everyone was like oh you're just missing out like you're missing out on the future star and then you kind of never hear from him again remember like Devin Kajust last year for the uh I think people just like Kajust because he was kind of like a weird dude and he liked crystals but yeah that's right there are dudes that people fall in love with and it's the hard knocks angle too are like oh that guy's a stud and then they end up getting cut and you never hear from them again Stanford Steve one of his great contributions to our conversations over the years he nailed this and he's so right about it and I don't think anybody else has said it um enough or it, it just but he goes Every year on Hard Knocks, there's a message the team wants to send. And it's very clear whether it's calculated or it's in conjunction with the way HBO edits it. But there are teams like the Atlanta Falcons year, they were considered soft. That next year, Hard Knocks, everything was toughness, toughness, toughness. We're a tough team. They show a fight at practice. I'm like, hey, this is going to be a different year. And you could tell like there was this message, right? Um, I don't know what the Browns one would be. But the Raiders, it's so obvious that this is going to be Derek Carr's back. And like, he's the leader. He's this guy. There's no doubt, you know, like the reality is that Derek Carr has a bad season with the Raiders. He's probably not going to be there anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't have the contract stuff in front of me. So maybe there's a number there that makes it actually hard to get out, but I, I don't believe it'll be his team or they'll be looking for somebody else in 2020 if he has a bad year, but at least one episode in. They are selling so hard that Derek Carr is the leader. He's the guy. Here's a great deep ball. Hey, Gruden, I got your back. I appreciate that. Can't wait to get A.B. out there, on and on and on. That appears to be the message. That and that Abram, the rookie, is super annoying. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It looks like the it looks like Derek Carr had an out. There. The team actually had a potential out this offseason and chose uh, not to exercise that. Well, yeah, right. But So what is it? Is it year to year now for him, I imagine? I love how we can yeah, really get sidetracked. Yeah, twenty twenty. His his. Well, they would only be five, he only counts five million uh, against against the cap. Right. So, so yeah. that's that's not an issue. So they're, at so all, they're out. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, the the one thing I'll really appreciate about this podcast is historically, I don't know if more podcasts stop themselves in their tracks to get you the accurate information. It's true. We'll ruin a conversation. Just to make sure we don't leave you walking around the office the rest of the day talking to somebody. Be like, you know, Derek Carr, I don't know about him. And, you know, I don't have the contract stuff off the top of my head. And instead, you're sitting there and you're at the forklift and Dwayne comes over and you're like, I don't know about Derek Carr, man. 
Like, I know he's only going to cost about $5 million against the Capitol after this season. And it's like, dude, you're a superhero at the office. So that's what we're trying to do for everybody out there. So there's that. Um, and then Ali, who, if you watch him at Last Chance you, where he didn't look super motivated into the concept of team, <laughs> then had a few suggestions that weren't even harsh critiques from Buckner, the, def- the former defensive lineman who I love. I love everything he said in the first episode of Hard Knocks. I freaking love that guy. I love him as a player. Um, I love, I love just the way he's talking. And he was telling Ollie, like, no, nah, you, you need to do things a little bit different. And then Ollie's like, my foot hurts, then doesn't go to treatment. And Gruden loses it and goes, we need some bleeping guys here that want to play. Let's get rid, no, let's get rid of a few of these bleeping guys. And they cut Ollie. And, you know, the thing that I, I struggle with at times is, you know, you look at different arguments from different pockets of, of the country and, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing more soothing than just allowing the person to feel like they're the ones being victimized, right? The persecution complex. Like this Rich Paul rule that's probably not really about Rich Paul, about an NBA agent having to go to college, and that, you know, is it racist, is it not, and all these different things. Well, that whole camp is is building this up like because it makes Rich Paul seem more powerful and more notorious. And it's like, look what they did. They made him do this. So it's fun, right? It's fun to be like, I'm being persecuted. This is... You know, this is this is what's going on. And I also think it's kind of funny that there's been so many people in the media that feels like the NBA and the Players Association should do a better job of screening agents and financial advisors. Like, I've heard that argument all the time. And now they're trying to set a baseline of, like, hey, you should have a college degree. Uh, and then it turns into this whole Rich Paul thing. And you're like, this is all. This is all. When I look at Ronald Ali, I go, he gets cut from camp thinking the world is out to get him and that it's not him. It's everybody else. And you're like, no, it's you. It's yeah, definitely yeah. you. Yeah, the world was out to get him in, what was it, southwest Mississippi, whatever? Eastern. Eastern Mississippi. Like, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. I remember he was always in, what's her name, the, the, the counselor's office complaining about something or not doing, you know, not wanting a good class or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And it was kind of wild to see him on the show, like, kind of being the same guy. <laughs> yeah, it was just, I mean, his one line, like, that line is the killer line of the whole episode. Where he goes, man, you just have to experience it to experience it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was like, that is, that is unbelievable. The delivery oh, was, was perfect. It was, it was an experience, man. You just have to experience it to experience it. Yeah, I think he yeah. said it three times. He did. He did. He did. But the, the line that resonated, you just go, and you don't, you know, you don't know what to do with that guy. Like, what's Ronald Ollie going to be telling people in five years? He's going to say the system screwed him up. He's like, oh, they just spit you up, you know, they just, or they eat you up and spit you out. And you're like, or, or, you know, you have to, when you're an undrafted rookie who we have a full season of seeing you be a malcontent, you got to figure it out. But you know what? Some people don't. A lot of people do. And I wouldn't claim to have it figured out as much as I'd like to think I do. And I certainly wasn't a guy that was even close to having it figured out in my early 20s. But it's also different when you're, um, when you're bartending and you don't really have any you're not answering to anybody there's no team concept there except for a softball team was nasty but I watch that and I think oh he's leaving and he'll go home and he'll tell people that it wasn't his fault and that sucks alright look at Downer last uh, last note there okay uh, enjoy the Rosilla Show pod please subscribe and make sure that you check out the final SVP and Rosilla pod as well which we will do. We've decided to do it. We're going to do a top 10 favorite memories from the show's history. 
because I told Scott I don't want to do this big Toronto buy thing again. Um, but I think that is just going to be fun to do. We've already been texting back and forth some of them, so I actually think it's going to be a hilarious episode. So stay tuned for that. Everybody have a great week.